0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. We read uh, quite a bit in Matthew's Gospel already uh, earlier today, but uh, we'll continue and then go backwards uh in time a little bit to Luke. Read a little bit there as well. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, so that we might pick up where we left off this morning with the Brother Drew's reading. <clears throat> Actually, might have might have ended at verse 11 this morning. Let me see here. So let's start from 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Speaking of the wise men or the Magi, as we call them sometimes. Verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. There is an interesting portion from Hosea 11.1 recording the history of the nation of Israel going into Egypt, coming out of Egypt, and God calling the nation his son. Here, Matthew is making a parallel or likeness of that uh, event to this event and this person, that nation and this person, that event and this event. It's not that Hosea was writing a prophecy. Hosea was writing a um, history and Matthew is using it in the Jewish fashion to indicate that there is a, you could say a type or an analogy I'd prefer perhaps here uh, in this event. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined From the wise men. What butchery this is, what savagery, what uh, an awful situation. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, again, here is an analogy to what happened in the past. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Oh the grief of Mom and Dad's and grandparents in that community all because Herod was threatened by a baby king. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream. There's another dream that we didn't talk about this morning. He turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He should be called a Nazarene, perhaps a netzer, huh? a branch. It will grow out of the stump of David, uh, stump of Jesse probably, is what Isaiah has. But let's go back to Luke then. Luke, Uh, we've touched on a good bit of chapter 1 already this morning, so we'll move into chapter 2 and read again here. Some of this we also touched on, but as we carry through the birth narrative, now uh, Jesus had been taken to Egypt and brought back, and we're going to rewind the time clock and go back to the beginning just before his birth. And it came to pass in those days, chapter 2 says of Luke, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Evidently, this was a second rendition of that event. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Why do you suppose David went to Bethlehem? Did they have to go back to the place of their birth? I've wondered about that. Um, Most times I think you hear, you kind of think about this and think, oh, Caesar Augustus kind of up Upended the whole empire and sent everybody back to the place of their birth and had to register them. I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't think the whole Roman empire did that, but perhaps certain of the Jewish people did because they wanted to be registered in the place of their ultimate nativity. And uh, that's what sent David back or um, Joseph back. don't know exactly all that went on there, but, uh, In any case, verse 6 says, "...so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Remember those two directions that I said about the blessing and benefit of the coming of the Messiah, of course, we could have backed up and looked a little bit more in detail about the good news that they actually brought, that there is born a Savior today who is Christ, and that's the sign that would indicate that they found the right one. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, verse 21, eight days, the eighth day or seven later, you might say, they came and had the circumcision for the the boy. They gave him the name Jesus at that time, which is a traditional way of doing it, the name which was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then later on, the days of purification according to the law of Moses were completed, verse 22, this is thirty. Well, we might say 32 days later, 33, uh, 40, I believe it is altogether, if I have my memory working properly. And uh, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is how we ascertain that Mary and Joseph were not the most wealthy of individuals, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken. Against Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Marvelous, isn't it? My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That is indeed true, all the way true, and a blessing to be reminded of it. Well, let me take a pause here and uh, let you help me out with a testimony uh, or a word of thanksgiving, uh, a word of praise to the Lord. I suppose that there are one or more among you that might have that on your tongue. Yes, sir. Questions first. Verse let's see. It says in verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. Yeah, so I've understood that, uh, Steve, that, He's being, he was directed by the Spirit of God. Now's the time. Go now. Yeah. So that gave me a further indication that this wasn't Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. And I don't know what other signs and signals this fellow, uh, you know, had, um, but uh, I, I suspect that he uh, probably talked at some greater length with the parents, uh, found out that Mary had been, was a virgin, Oh well, that would be a good sign, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, that's Isaiah seven fourteen there. Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. By the Spirit of God, we we uh, maybe think that's a little too mystical, but we do believe that God's Spirit does guide us, and uh, it, it's a little hard to explain, but prompt us, uh, put word you know kind of a, a notion in our conscience, if you will. Uh, uh, I, I wouldn't you know be able to, to brag or anything like that, but just say sometimes I have sensed that in my own walk with the Lord, like uh, you must go visit so-and-so right now, today. And, uh, you know, that has happened a number of times. I remember one that just popped to mind visiting with uh, Mrs. Beard. And uh, Friday morning she called and said she had to have a, uh, the doctor said she was, had to have a surgery for her aneurysm And she had to make a decision as to whether she was going to do that or not. And um, so I went, visited with her in her living room. We prayed and asked God's wisdom. And what was it, Monday? Monday morning, she was sitting at her couch with her coffee and toast. And she just exited this life sitting right there in that couch, just like that. If I had waited until, you know, well, I got my day off on Monday and Tuesday I go and visit, well, it was too late by then. So what a... You know that that sort of thing. I think God works providentially and using the desires of our hearts. So we'll leave that work with God. But uh, you know, sometimes I think we can be so dull of hearing that we just miss it. You know, we don't want to be that way. We want to be sensitive to the work of God's Spirit. Any other words, questions, testimonies, mainly? A thanksgiving, a word of praise to the Lord. Joseph's perspective on the whole matter, as I've talked about before. I notice it said in verse 33 of Luke 2, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. There, Joseph gets the name, and it's just his mother. Um, Mary's not named in that particular verse, but he does. She is named in the next verse and subject of the next two. Two, 33 and 34. And Joseph and his mother marveled. 233 and 34 of Luke. But your point is very well taken that uh, Luke, um, I'm sorry Joseph often gets a back seat and uh, not much is said about him. He doesn't appear on the scene later on in, uh, in the book of Acts as Mary does or at the, at the cross as Mary does, but he had a crucial role to play in the time that God gave him. Um, you know He was the leader of that family. He was the head of that household. God used him to protect, to provide for the family, uh, undoubtedly to train uh, in a way that a father could train a young child in uh, the things of God. Jesus learned as a boy, just like every other person did. Uh, he had a little bit of a leg up, I'll say, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, at least acknowledge that his father did what a good father would do and taught him the, the uh, Torah the prophets and the writings um, so very 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 important but it just goes to show you there are a lot of people who do things for god and god assigns them to do things that don't get much credit and uh, that's okay god will give them the credit that they deserve and you know, they'll be rewarded richly um, you know it's it's uh, it's just something that uh, you know joseph does get such second billing especially by those that overemphasize mary you know what about joseph <laughs> you know he had a very big big role to play in all of that well let me uh share with you something i've been thinking about for a while just to connect a uh, a well-known piece of music to uh, our celebration today tonight of our lord's birth and it is a well-known uh what's called oratorio which is defined this way, that term oratorio, a large musical composition for orchestra, choir, and soloists. A man named George Friedrich Handel composed an oratorio filled with Bible passages that together describe our Lord's promised coming, the virgin birth, the substitutionary atonement, the resurrection and defeat of death, the Lord's exaltation to heaven and second coming, And it ends with a chorus of worship that says, He, the Lamb of God, is worthy of our worship. His text, the text of it, which is different, the oratorio is the whole thing, the music and all of that put together, which was, by the way, about 270 pages. His text that he used as a basis for that was the libretto compiled from Scripture and the Book of Common Prayer by his benefactor, Charles Jennings. Now, a libretto is a text or words of an opera or similar extended music composition. And so he was given this uh, libretto with the idea that he would put it to music and arrange it in such a way that it would come out as a beautiful musical composition or oratorio. The the source that I I looked up in in this uh, information went on to say this, and I quote, Apparently, Jennings' libretto had been in Handel's possession for a few years. But other projects, including another collaboration with Jennings, the same benefactor, took precedence. But in 1741, Jennings would convince Handel to begin work on this special libretto. In July of that year, Jennings wrote to a friend saying, and here's the content of the letter, Handel says he will do nothing next winter. But I hope I shall persuade him to set another scripture collection I have made for him and perform it for his own benefit during Passion Week. I hope he will lay out his whole genius and skill upon it, that the composition may excel all his former compositions as the subject excels every other subject. The subject is Messiah. The next month, George Handel began writing the music for the oratorio in what has been described as a white heat. The first 100 pages were done in six days, and the whole oratorio, nearly 270 pages, a total of 24 days. He hardly went out. He hardly was able to be convinced to eat. Uh, he did not leave his work. In fact, at one point, uh, his servant reported that he went in to see his uh, master and Handel said, uh, it is something like this. It is as if I've seen heaven opened and seen the glory of God. He then set about preparing it to be debuted in Dublin, Ireland in April of 1742. So this he began work in August of 1741. He finished in September of 1741. And then a number of months later around the Passion Week in April of 1742. April 13th to be exact, 1742, it was performed at Dublin's New Music Hall with a choir of 30 men only and an orchestra of 30 in a hall that was too small to accommodate the ladies' hoops in their skirts. The ladies were told to leave their skirt hoops home, and the men were told, please leave your swords at home so there's more room for us all in the hall. Later, Handel used the oratorio to give a benefit concert for London's Foundling Hospital in 1749. And every year thereafter, until 1758, Handel died at 1759, a week after he had performed Messiah one last time. The story goes that the piece of music, the oratorio, 270 pages, was lost in the hospital's chapel library for over 100 years. It was rediscovered in 1896, and staff at the hospital went about to set up a benefit concert in honor of Handel and that piece of music which we have come to know as the Messiah. And it came then to the general knowledge of the world in the early 1900s and since then has been one of the most well-known pieces of music that has ever been composed. We'll go through an outline of the oratorio and its scriptural content now. And I wish I could like uh, a uh, very famous radio host did years ago. I I didn't have time to make a production like this, but I would, from a Christian perspective, do what Michael Worf did. I don't know if you remember that name. Michael Worf was a personality on WJR radio. And in December 28th of 1997, he presented portions of the Messiah along with commentary and explanation like what I just gave here. And it was a marvelous presentation in 45 minutes on the radio, and that was actually replayed just uh, Friday night on an FM radio station in the area. I guess it's maybe it's in public domain or they released it to that purpose, but you can find it online as well. Michael Worf's uh, name is spelled W-H-O-R-F if you look it up. We begin with prophecies of Christ's first and second comings and part one, and I will say uh, the libretto from Jennings and the final product from Uh, handle, probably if I were to do them with a more theological bent, I would put them in a little bit of a different order or arrange them a little differently. You can imagine people with different views of eschatology and different things are going to come out a little bit differently on some of these points. But uh, that doesn't really take away too much from the overall value of the piece. And the reason is that the libretto Some have even kind of downplayed the the text because Jennings only took Scripture and arranged it in an order. And the way he did it was he arranged it with the verses that we'll look at just now and then um, Handel took them and greatly expanded on them. You know, where there will be, uh, you know, comfort ye, comfort ye my people from Isaiah chapter 40 or hallelujah. Well, you know what happened to Hallelujah, right? <laughs> it got a little expanded in uh, form and fashion, uh, and that's what makes it so, uh, so marvelous. But Isaiah prophesies that God says to give comfort to his people in the second book, as it were, the second portion of Isaiah, speak ye comfort to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. Indeed, that is the case Uh, in the future that uh, she will be uh, at peace. And then it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked straight and the rough places plain. And I'm sure if you're familiar with Messiah, you're kind of hearing some of these in your mind just now, and uh, and that's good. I would like to uh, play some of them along sometime with this presentation. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You know, it's a fascinating thing to me, we see this, and there's a little bit of uncertainty in the prophets as we looked at this morning about how it is that the, there would be the the sufferings of Christ, and then the glories that would follow. And I think about the even just the glory of Christ coming the first time. How glorious is that? As Steve has testified this evening, the glory of that coming in the suffering and the giving of himself for our sins. But if you look at just the, the majesty of his appearance, of his sinlessness, of his living on the earth among people, of being so kind and helpful, healing and being a benefactor to people, just a blessing. And then, you know, you think about just the little glimpse of what it will look like in the future on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory of that. All of that is going to be not done away, but it's going to be outstripped by the glory of His return. It will be even far greater. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And in this case, it's revealed in stage one, the first coming, stage two at the second coming. And all flesh shall see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It's, that's it. Simple. God said so, and that's going to be done. Haggai, then, uh, is a text that's used, and it's very interesting because there are 14, I think, 14 books, maybe, of the Scripture, if I recall properly, that are used in this libretto. In Haggai 2, 6 and 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, yet a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. This is more of a second coming passage than a first coming. Malachi 3.1, however, bounces back. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord did suddenly appear at his temple. <laughs> Very surprisingly, too, I mean, uh, he, he went in and he cleaned up the place. Didn't he? And that was a shocker to those that were there, just kind of business as usual, you know, turning the temple into a house of merchandise, a commercial establishment, instead of a house of prayer. But Malachi 3 goes on to say, But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. If the Lord would mark iniquities, who would stand? And so, because of the way the prophets are laid out, thus the libretto and oratorio are laid out in such a way that their second, first and second coming are kind of put together, just like they are in the prophets. Malachi 3:3, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. How is it that he's going to come? Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel God with us. These are good tidings so says Isaiah in chapter 60 O thou that tell us good tidings to Zion get thee up into the high mountain O thou that tell us good tidings to Jerusalem lift up thy voice with strength lift it up and be not afraid say unto the cities of Judah behold your God. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, this is Isaiah 60 again, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising." Indeed, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, are are you hearing it in your mind's ear, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's a section now, number, number 13 in the uh, oratorio, the Pastoral Symphony, followed by Luke 2.8. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, this is the King James, not very afraid, they were sore afraid. <laughs> It's a good word. Good word. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And then this jumps again to uh, the second coming, I, I would say, although this could be applied in the first as well. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And of course, in that context, there's the coming. He's coming with the, uh, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that is the first coming. But then later in Zechariah, it talks about him coming and them observing the one whom they pierced. Yeah, mourning as one mourns for an only son. He is the righteous Savior, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. There's another good King James word, the heathen, (laughs) the uh, the Gentiles, the nations. (sighs) Yeah, so are you. Yeah, that's right. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. In the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the man, lame man rather, leap as a hart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Come unto him, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Listen to that invitation. If only people would just soak in the words of the Messiah as they hear it played over the loudspeakers of the, music, of the places, the stores where they are, or, or at, the, uh, at Hill Auditorium when they hear it. Um, Come unto him, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and he shall give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You want rest for your soul? There's one and only one way to do it through Christ. People take on such heavy yokes today, you know. They've got to do this and they've got to do that and they've got to have this career and they've got to have that accomplishment and they've got to this and that and everything else and such a heavy yoke. The yoke of the world's philosophies and so on. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah says he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So what Handel was doing in the Libretto from Jennings is really moving quickly here through some of these portions of scripture of prophecy, of suffering and redemption, and then of glory to follow. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He gave his back to the smiters and his cheeks, to them that plucked off the hair. He did not hide his face from shame and and spitting surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him if 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 this text if this oratorio is sung by those of a of a liberal theological mindset they ruin it because they don't want to believe that jesus came to die for sin they want to believe that he came to be a moral example or he was a nice teacher, or a godly person, uh, came to give us comfort and all of that. Much, much, much more than that Jesus came for. Don't be deceived by your liberal-leaning uh, friends. You know, the Bible, they had those in Bible times too. They were called Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or spirits. You know, basically, they take all of this and they just ignore Half of it or more We can't do that. With his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All they that see him laugh him to scorn. they shoot out their lips and shake their heads, saying, He trusted that God would deliver him. Let him deliver him if he delights in him now. They rebuke. Sorry, thy rebuke has broken his heart. He is full of heaviness. He looked for some to have pity on him, but there was no man. They found none to comfort him. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like his sorrow. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of thy people he was stricken but you did not leave his soul in hell. These are all verses in the, in the Messiah. Nor didst thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be, lift up, be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Under which of the angels did he say at any time, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee? No, rather let all the angels of God worship him. Thou art gone up on high. Psalm sixty eight eighteen Thou hast led captivity captive and received gifts for men, yea, even for thine enemies, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Boy, this is a long production here. Two hundred and seventy pages summarized in ten here before me. Psalm sixty eight eleven. The Lord gave the word Great was the company of the preachers, or great was the company of those who proclaim it. What do they proclaim? How beautiful are the feet? of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Their sound has gone out into all the lands and their words to the end of the world. That's Romans 10.15 and 10.18. So you present all of that and then the question is asked in the oratorio, why do the nations so furiously rage together? And why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth rise up And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that is the Messiah. They say, let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their yokes from us. But he that dwells in the heaven shall laugh them to scorn. He shall have them in derision. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. And then the ever-famous Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Forever and ever and ever and ever. I know that my Redeemer lives that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. For now Christ is risen from the dead, the first fruits of them that sleep. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, the oratorio reports. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to a section that talks about the eternal security of the believer, followed by the eternal worship of Christ. First, the security. If God be before us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. And then the worship. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, Revelation 5, 12, and 13. In that heavenly worship scene that John has a little entrance into, being called up into heaven to give us a revelation, the the revelator, as we might call him. He saw this one that has redeemed us to God by his blood, and he, he wrote down these words, worthy is that lamb who was slain and redeemed us to God to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. That's the content of the Messiah. (laughs) Sure. Worf, Michael Worf, that I mentioned earlier in his uh, research, reported this, that Beethoven when late in his life perusing the works of Handel, said this of his work, There is the truth. Heavenly Father, indeed it is the truth because it records scripture and it arranged it beautifully, almost in what many people would say an in inspired fashion. In 24 feverish days, you used a man who was struggling and faced twice bankruptcy in the recent days, but he had this work stored up in his mind and it spilled out in those days in August and September of 1741. We're grateful for it. Of course, we're more grateful for the words that he echoed, which are the words of scripture. and Those words arranged in such a fashion so that they would be exalted and that Christ, the Christ of the word would be exalted before people. And now for for over a century and in fact if it hadn't been lost it would be two and a half centuries long of time these words have been sung in a very beautiful arrangement and I pray Lord that some will deal seriously with these words that they hear in this holiday season whether it's on the radio or recording or in a live performance and for us Lord help us to rejoice that indeed the subject is beyond all other subjects. The subject is Messiah. He is our God and King. We acknowledge Him and love Him and thank You for giving Him to the world. May we worship Him in spirit and in truth in all of our days, even right now, through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.